Bibles, you can grab them and you can turn with me to John, excuse me, I'm used to saying John. You can turn with me to Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one. Obviously, I just said, John, uh, this past year, we have been studying through the book of John, and we started in January, and I went back and looked, 38 weeks we spent journeying through the book of John, all the way from verse 1 to chapter 21, but we are done with the book of John now. That's pretty crazy to think about. What a beautiful time it was. Next year, we are going to start to study the book of Galatians, and we're really excited about that. Wow, let's go. Y'all, y'all are a holy church because you got more excited about Galatians than ugly Christmas sweaters. So props to y'all. Let's go. Let's go. You guys, you guys know what the main thing is. You get it. So, but over the next few days and over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a three week series called Extraordinary. And it's going to be leading up to Christmas and it's going to be looking at the Christmas story. And really the heartbeat of this series is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in his story. And so my prayer truly is that over the next few weeks, as we begin to wrap up this year, and as we begin to look forward to 2023, my prayer is that that we would look at ourselves and that we would say, God, I know that that I may just be an ordinary person. Um, I know that most of us in here, we that's how we would consider ourselves. And we would say, God, I don't know if I, I necessarily live in a, a crazy special place. I don't know if I, I would qualify myself as being a celebrity or someone that many people know, God. But, but I want you to use me in a powerful way that next year. That that would be our prayer. And that is my prayer for sure for my life. And so as we study and as we see during the Christmas story that that there are these many ordinary people who are going through their lives, but God interrupts them and he invites them into his extraordinary story. I pray that we would begin to ask that God would do that in our lives as well. But, But the title today for this morning is Disappointed with God. Disappointed with God. And I wonder if there is anyone here and that's maybe how you feel or perhaps something that you've experienced before. I know for myself personally, as I reflected on this, I, I thought about my life and I thought about different prayers that I had prayed. I remember uh, as a, a young child praying for a family member that, that I really wanted to see God heal. And, and they, they were not healed and they ended up dying. And I remember feeling disappointed for that. I remember even as a, a, a growing older and praying for a friend who was dealing with sickness and, and seeing him pass away. I remember even over the past few years having prayers that I prayed in faith, desiring to see God move. And, and some of those prayers, God answered in a mighty way. But, but some of them were not answered in the way that I wanted And so I think for you and me and here, there can be times if we examine our hearts where if we were honest, we would say, man, I'm disappointed with God. You know, what's interesting is last week, Pastor Dave, he preached an amazing message about Peter and Jesus restoring Peter. And the theme of that message was, what do we do if we fail God, if if we fail? But but the theme of this message is this. What do we do if we feel like God has failed us? 
And we know God doesn't fail. We know that he always has the victory. But if we're honest, we can feel sometimes like he is the one who has let us down. And so what do we do? And we're going to look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we're going to discover how God wants to speak to us today. And so if you're in Luke chapter 1, you can look with me at verse 5. Now, the context of this is that this is the first story to be recorded after the Old Testament is over. And so God, he calls this people, he, he sends them into the promised land. And throughout the time that, that God has ministered through the people of Israel, he over and over again makes this promise to them. And the promise is, I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. There is going to be someone who is coming who will restore Israel, who will save the world, who, who will unite, and who will be a king and a ruler. And so God has made this promise. But, but for 400 years, the people have been waiting and the people have been longing, and there is no promise that has been granted. They're waiting for God to answer. And now this, what we're about to read, is the first time in 400 years that God has opened his mouth and he's spoken to the people. And this is what we read. Verse 5 of Luke chapter 1 says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So this is the context of our story. And what we see is two godly people. Zechariah is a priest. He, he, for his job, ministers to people, serves the Lord. And Elizabeth, she is also recorded as being righteous. And so this is not only that they are just sort of going through the motions, but they have, as a couple, decided together, we are going to serve God. We are going to set ourselves aside and we're going to be holy before the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. But what we discover is that although they are righteous, there is a major factor in their story that's a source of great shame for them. And it is that they have no children. Now, in today's day and age, uh, children are certainly valued. And there are many people who love having kids. There are many people who grow up wanting to have kids. But if, if a couple decides not to have kids, uh, more and more there is not as much of a stigma around that. Um, I know several couples that, that they have gotten married and they've decided, you know what? That, that's not for me. And even today in our culture, um, children are very much viewed more as sometimes optional or even sometimes as a burden or an unnecessary uh, expense. But, but it is not so during the time of the, the scriptures. When the scriptures are written, uh, the scripture actually says that children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is the man who, whose quiver is full. And man, we, we believe that, that God has given, when God gives a couple children, it is an incredible, incredible blessing. It is a, it's a challenge, but it is also a blessing. And at that time, if you were a good Hebrew boy, your goal in life was to find a wife and have lots of kids. That was like your goal. 
If you were a Hebrew girl, your goal was to find a husband and and start having lots of kids. We want to have as many kids as possible because that brings blessing. And those kids are our future. Those kids are our legacy. Those kids are our stability. And so the fact that Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't have any kids was a source of incredible shame. And if you have walked through infertility in your life and in your story, you know perhaps a small part of the burden that they were going through. You know about the questions that happen at every family gathering, about the calendar rolling around and realizing and realizing that what you've prayed for has not come true yet. And so I just want to acknowledge, even in this room and in our church, there are couples who are walking through and praying for kids, and it hasn't happened yet. You're walking through a journey of infertility. But maybe for you, your disappointment isn't infertility. Maybe for you, it's a health issue that's going on with you or going on with your family. Maybe it's a financial issue that you've been praying about and working towards for a long time, but you can't seem to get ahead. Maybe you took a step of faith, hoping that God would come through and it ended up being in your eyes a failure. And you're discouraged and you're not sure how to move forward. I don't know what it looks like, but maybe you're here and you are disappointed with God. And for Zachariah and for Elizabeth, this wasn't just a hard season. This was something that they were marked by. This was part of who they were. So so a question I have, and I think it's important for us to ask this is, why is it that we suffer? Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were suffering. They were dealing with a great hardship. And so why is it that we suffer? And I wrote down four ways, four ways or four reasons that we suffer. The first one is this. We suffer as a consequence for our foolish behavior. So, so let me give you a couple of examples. Husbands, if you find yourself uh, sleeping on the couch at night because you scheduled 36 holes of golf on your wife's birthday you're suffering as a consequence of foolish behavior. And by the way, I I don't say that from experience, okay? I I don't think I'm that dumb. If you're sitting on the side of the road and you have blue lights in your rear view mirror because you looked at that road sign that said 95 and you took it as a speed suggestion, not as the name of the interstate, then you're suffering as a consequence of your foolish behavior. So that is a reason that we suffer. Another reason that we suffer is this, that God can allow a trial to build our character. He can allow us to go through a hardship. And in fact, unfortunately, I say unfortunately from a human perspective, often that is how God grows us and shapes us is through hardships. And so we're going through trials, we're going through hardships so that God can build character in us. My wife Katie and I, we would say that, that over the past few months, uh, we've experienced a small piece of this. And this is not complaining, this is not like, I'm just telling you kind of what's been going on with us. But uh, our first son, Isaiah, uh, honestly, he was a very, very easy baby. And so we kind of got in that stage of like, we're awesome parents, you know, if you need advice... Talk to us. We're happy to tell you how we're doing it. Um, and Malachi, uh, we love him just as much as Isaiah, although I have to tell myself that sometimes, because um, he has been just a little bit of more of a difficult one, all right? Like, he's been challenging. He's definitely been like a, if, if he is awake, 
he needs to be held, you know, and like he is needy a lot more. And so he's been one where like he's, he's grown my patience, he's grown her patience. And so God is allowing it. And again, I'm, I'm not complaining. I know that, that we're insanely, insanely blessed, but it's been a season for us where we've been like, man, like, like this, the, having a second child has, has allowed God to develop even more in us his character traits and has exposed, at least in me, where I am not godly, okay, and where I need uh, to have a lot of work. And so it's consequence. Uh, the, the third reason is this, and this is a really tough one. We suffer because someone else sins against us. You see, God allows free will for us, uh, which we like, but, but he also allows free will for everyone else. And when we act selfishly, we hurt other people. And in reality, when some of us are, are here and we're feeling pain, we're, we're feeling even trauma in our lives or, or hurtful memories or, or things that we are having to overcome, not because of a foolish decision we've made, but because of a foolish, sinful decision someone else has made. So we can suffer for those reasons because of the sin of someone else. And then the last thing is this, uh, we can suffer simply because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. Now, listen, for you and for I, each one of us will go through suffering. And each one of us is responsible to walk with Jesus. And we have a choice whether to use our suffering to grow or to get bitter. But, but I do just want to take a moment and just highlight this for a second. Because I think sometimes as we're suffering, the enemy can come in and heap condemnation on us. The enemy can even bring up past mistakes we've made and say, oh, well, the reason you're suffering is because of this. It can bring up memories from childhood or, or, or mistakes that we've done, and oh, this is, must be the reason that you're going through this. And it could be, but it's possible that there are people in here and you're just suffering because we live in a broken world. And, and so suffering is hard enough already without taking on additional condemnation. And so that's why Zachariah and Elizabeth were suffering. If you look at the text, it says they were barren because Elizabeth couldn't have kids and because they were both of old age. It was just biological reasons. And so let's keep reading. Let's keep moving forward. Look with me at verse eight. And it says this. It says, once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the, the tradition was every evening, a priest would go inside the temple and, and clean the altar and burn incense in the temple before the Lord. Now, there were about 18,000 priests that were actively serving in Israel. They were divided up into 24 different divisions. We just read that Zechariah was in the division of Abijah. And so two weeks a year, Zechariah would take essentially a business trip. He would travel from his home to Jerusalem, and he would serve at the temple. Now, every evening, they would cast lots. They would sort of use a lottery system to figure out which priest would go into the temple and would burn incense. And because there were 18,000 priests, if you do the math, it, it would, to get all, through all of them would take about 50 years. And so what we can conclude is that this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime honor for Zechariah. And so this is not 
every other day in Zachariah's life. This is like throwing out the first pitch at the World Series, singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. This is like the biggest moment of Zachariah's priestly career. He is walking into the temple and he is burning incense there. This is the highest honor that he could possibly achieve. And so in this moment, as he is going into the temple to do this, his life is about to be interrupted. And God is about to intervene in his story. Let's look at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. By the way, the right side was the side of favor. And so this was already a sign. The angel, he comes in peace. He comes with the favor of the Lord. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Every time in scripture that someone sees an angel or that someone sees God appear to them, this is the reaction. They are gripped with fear. They are filled with awe. As you actually have a revelation of the glory of the Lord, you see how powerful and beautiful and majestic he is. And you're faced with even our own brokenness and our own weakness and our own sin. And we're gripped with fear. But look at the angel. He says, and the angel, verse 13, said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. I love this. That even in this moment, the highest honor of his career, he's faced with an angel, a messenger from God. He's filled with fear, but the angel brings peace to him, and he says to him, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Isn't that beautiful? Think about the times, years and years and years, when Zachariah had been praying, when Elizabeth had been praying, God, send us a son. Give us a child. Send us a baby girl. God, we, we want to hold a baby in our hands. And all that time, no doubt, they felt like God hadn't listened, that God had forgotten about them, that perhaps God had ignored them. But what we see here is that throughout that time, Gabriel shows up and he says this. He says, listen, all of those prayers, heaven heard those prayers. God was listening. And so I just want to encourage you as you're praying that God is listening to your prayers. And I want to take just a moment here because I do recognize that even within our church, there are couples that are praying for a baby that are dealing with infertility or maybe dealing with mourning the loss of a child. And I wanna take a moment and just pray for those couples. So let's bow our heads right now. God, I thank you for the beautiful congregation that we have here. And I know that many couples are walking through infertility. Many couples are walking through mourning the loss of a child. And so in this moment, God, we just pray for them. God, for those who have lost a child this year, we just pray for comfort over that unimaginable sadness. And God, for those who are trying to get pregnant and have a baby, God, we know that life uh, starts with you. And so God, you are the giver of life. And we ask that even in 2023, that you would bless many couples at our church with, with children. And we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the angel comes to Zechariah and the angel announces that God's prayer has been answered or that Zechariah's prayer has been answered. And 
now the angel is going to describe what Zach, what John is going to be like. Look at verse 14. It says, he will be a joy and a delight to you. By the way, that sounds awesome. Not like he will keep you up all night. Like he's going to be a picky eater, you know? He's going to cry a lot. That's what the angel would have told Katie and I about Malachi. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love him. I really do. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient of, to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here's what the angel says. The angel says that John is going to have a specific calling on his life. And it's going to be to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming king. At that time, when a king or when a Caesar would ride into a town, there would be a messenger that would go before them. And the messenger would say, a king is coming. Clean up the streets. You know, put out your best flowers, arrange the, the fruit in the windows of your shops to make sure the best stuff is, is out because there is a king coming and you want to be ready for the king. And in the same way, John the Baptist, he comes to the people and he says, you need to prepare your hearts because God is coming on the scene. I am a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing a, the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. Get ready. That's what he's saying. And if you look at Luke chapter three, you can read a sermon that John the Baptist preached. And it's, a, it's an intense sermon because he's preparing people's hearts for God. Now, now notice that uh, the angel Gabriel said that he was going to be like Elijah. Now, this is a really cool and interesting tidbit. The angel Gabriel, he was quoting from Malachi chapter four. And if you look on the screen, we'll see it. In Malachi chapter four, these are the last verses in the Old Testament. And Malachi says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So Malachi is prophesying that before the Lord comes, Elijah is going to come. Now, this doesn't mean that Elijah the prophet is actually going to be resurrected. It means that John the Baptist is going to come and he's going to be like Elijah. Now, let me explain something really cool. Elijah was like the uh, ultimate gold standard of prophets in the Old Testament. He was considered to be the most famous prophet in the Old Testament. But when Elijah came, his successor was a man named Elisha. Elijah, Elisha. It's been confusing Bible studiers since the dawn of time. Elijah came first, and then after him was Elisha. Now, here's an interesting fact about Elisha. When Elisha took over for Elijah, he asked, I want a double portion of Elijah's blessing. And so what we see is that God granted that. In other words, Elijah came first, but Elisha was greater. And so this is actually symbolism for Jesus and for John the Baptist, because John the Baptist came as an Elijah character, and he came first, but Jesus came after John the Baptist, and he was greater than John the Baptist. 
And so that's actually a really beautiful picture of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. All right, we're going to keep going. And let's look at verse 18. Now, this is where it's going to get interesting because this amazing message has been brought to Zechariah. Now, look at what happens. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So we see here that, yes, Zechariah was disappointed, but in many ways, Zechariah was actually just done. He had closed that chapter of his life. And even when the angel from God comes to him and says, God, like I'm bringing you this great news, Zechariah is like, sorry, man, you're 40 years too late. It can't happen. And I would love for that to happen. We hope for that to happen, but we're not getting our hopes up again because it's over. It can't. Now, Gabriel says this, verse 19, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So what's interesting is Zechariah has this moment of doubt and he questions the angel and the angel actually says, hey, I'm gonna prove it to you. And the proof will be, the sign will be, you're not gonna be able to speak until this baby comes because you doubted. And so you're gonna have to be silent. This doubt is gonna have to be silent as John the Baptist comes onto the scene. Now, I feel like as I've reflected on this over the past couple of weeks that I've been studying, I'm like, man, that's it's kind of an intense punishment, right? Like he asks a question and he gets just basically silenced. And uh, I was kind of thinking about it and, and just wondering, because if you keep studying, and by the way, next week, we're going to be studying the story of Mary and Joseph. And if you look at the story of Mary and Joseph, uh, the angel comes to visit Mary and Mary actually asks a similar question. The angel says, you are going to have a baby. And Mary asks, I don't understand. And so I actually have it on the screen. Mary says this, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And so in that story, Gabriel does not strike Mary with muteness. He actually gives a very calm explanation of this is how this is going to happen. And this is what's going to happen. And you'll have to uh, come next week to find out all about that story. But, but I was wondering, what is the difference? Like, why is it that Zachariah was kind of hit with this, this punishment or this discipline and Mary was not, although they both ask questions. And, and so I want to take a moment and just examine a couple of the differences. And this is why I think this is important. You and I, we are stepping into a new year here. And we believe that God is going to call each and every single person in our church to take steps of faith for his kingdom this year. Like God is going to get us out of our comfort zones. God is going to ask us to be obedient and ask us to move his kingdom forward. And so you and I, whenever God gives us that kind of an opportunity, we have a choice to make. Am I going to believe and trust in God? Am I going to obey or am I going to sit on the sidelines? And so I want us to examine these two responses, Zachariah and Mary, and ask, how is it that I can step forward in faith when God asks me or calls me to take a step of faith? 
In January, we're going to be sharing something called the seven disciplines. And the seven disciplines is just an invitation for you to take a step of faith, to take a next step in following Jesus. For, for some of us, that step will be carving out time to study the Bible every day and to pray every day and to just spend time with Jesus. For some, it will be connecting in community and getting connected to this church to continue to grow. For some, it will be discovering that God has given you a spiritual gift and that you have a chance to use that gift to invest in the kingdom. For some, it will be trusting God with your finances and investing those finances to help the kingdom move forward. And each time that God invites us into this, we have a chance and we have an opportunity to respond in obedience. So the question is, how do we do that? Well, I think there's a few lessons that we can learn from Zechariah and from Mary. And here's the first one. It's this, that when God uh, gives us an opportunity to respond, it is okay to face the facts, but it's not okay to discount God's power. It's okay to face the facts. And I think sometimes as Christians, uh, we don't do a good job of facing the facts. Some people, uh, when they feel that God's leading them to do something, they just, they just charge in. They don't think about it at all. And oftentimes what I've observed is that people, when they do this, they tend to bounce around from thing to thing. They're like here and there because I feel like God's leading me here and I feel like God's leading me there and I feel like God's leading me here and I feel like, and it's like they never can commit to something. Sometimes even Christians can get like weirdly like over spiritual, like, you know what, don't, don't say I'm sick because I don't want to admit and bring that spirit of sickness into my life. It's like, you know, you have like mucus running down your face. You can admit you're sick, okay? Like, don't say my car is going to break down. Nope, I don't speak that over myself. It's like, you know what, your car is, has smoke pouring out of it. Like, get an oil change. So it, it's okay to face the facts of your life. Jesus even said this, if you want to follow me, you have to count the cost. You should examine your life. You should examine what I'm asking you to do, and you should consider it before you do it. And this should bring comfort. I know that many people here um, in our church are engineers. We are an engineering town. And what I love and deeply appreciate and respect about engineers is you are planners. You want to make sure that you know all the details before moving forward, which is amazing. Like, I don't want my bridge builders to be like, I just feel like it's good, you know? Like, the Lord just gave me a piece about it. Like, I don't, I don't care about the peace of the Lord. Like, do the math. Like, does it actually, can a car drive over it, you know? And so, like, to be honest, we can, it is not ungodly to face the facts of your life, to look at the circumstances that God has called you to, and even if God has called you to take a step of faith to examine them. But here's the important thing. Zachariah, he faced the facts. He said, my, my wife and I cannot do this in the natural, but what he forgot about was the supernatural. He forgot that God was part of the story. And so as you are facing the facts and as you are thinking about taking steps of faith, here's what I would encourage you. Yes, look at the natural, but the first priority should be God steps into the story and anything is possible. So, so God, he can do the impossible. And if God is calling you to take a step of faith, he will empower you to do it. He will give you the presence. He will give you the power. He will give you the peace. He will give you what you need. And so do not discount God as you're looking at the facts. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is this, that it is okay to ask questions. 
It's okay to ask questions, but it's not okay to need all the information before obeying. And you see, both Mary and Zachariah ask a question. Mary's question was pretty simple. Mary's question is, you say, I'm going to have a baby. I know that A plus B equals C. And if I'm A and you're telling me that C is going to happen, like, I, like help me understand the B part, you know? <laughs> Zacharias was a little different, though, if you examine it. Zacharias said, how will I know this? In other words, I need to know all the information before we move forward. And let me tell you this. When God calls you to do something, he will never give you all that you need up front And he will rarely give you the whole plan. When God calls you to do something, usually he gives you all you need for the first step. Sometimes he doesn't even give you all you need for the first step. You got to take the first step. And as you're taking the first step, God will provide what you need in that time. And and so I just want to encourage you that some of us in here, God has laid something on our heart for us to do. And we're waiting because we're trying to figure out every single possible detail. Again, Face the facts, count the cost, be wise. But if you're waiting for the full picture, you're never gonna do it. Because when God calls us to do it, we must take a step of faith and God will provide as we go. And then the third lesson is this. The third lesson is it's okay to feel doubt, but it's not okay to let doubt rule. I wanna tell you that whenever you take a step of faith for God, you will feel fear. You will feel doubt. You will feel uncertainty. If you didn't, it's probably not a step of faith. So it's okay to feel the emotion, but you have a choice to make. And the choice is, am I going to let the emotion rule or am I going to be obedient to what God is calling me to despite the emotion? And I'll tell you, every single time that I come up here, like as I'm standing there during worship, Like, I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling doubt. I'm feeling like, God, I don't know if you're going to come through in this moment. But but there comes a moment, and for me, it's easy because, like, the song's over, and it's like, all right, I have to do this now. (laughs) But I have to take that step of faith to say, God, I I have to trust that I've prepared and I've prayed, but I'm going to step forward, and I'm going to trust that you're going to show up. And so it's okay to feel the doubt, but we cannot let the doubt rule because we must allow God's voice to rule in our lives. Okay, let's keep going, and we're going to wrap this story up. Verse 21 says this. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Usually after the priests came out, he would offer a benediction or a blessing. And so when he was unable to do so, they realized something had happened. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And I love this. We've studied a lot about Zechariah, but what we see from Elizabeth is that she had disgrace that she had been carrying around, that that shame had been a part of her story for so long. But God, when he intervened and stepped into her story, he removed the shame and he removed the disgrace. And I believe that there are people in this room 
that you would say that that's part of my story, shame and disgrace. Maybe it's because of something that was done to you, or maybe it was an action that you took, a sin that you committed. And I want to let you know that when, when Jesus comes into your story, the story stops having the title of disgrace. And yes, there can be chapters of, of our lives that have shame or chapters of our lives that have disgrace. I certainly have chapters in my life where I'm embarrassed and ashamed of what I've done. But, but the title of my story is not shame. It is not disgrace. And the reason is because when Jesus steps in, he makes us a new creation. He, he restores and he redeems and he gives you the title and the name of loved and chosen and forgiven and set free and called and empowered. And so I just want to encourage you, if you feel like that the title of your book is disgrace, that God sees you and he loves you. And he's writing a new story. He's inviting you into a new story. But, but as, we, as we close here, I want to draw our attention back to this concept of disappointed with God. And I just want to share two things that I think are so key from this passage that I think will be practical for each one of us as we look forward to the new year and as we start to say, God, what do you want to do in my life next year? And the first one is this, I think it's so vital, is to keep praying because God hears you. Keep praying because God hears you. And, and I love that the first thing the angel said to Zachariah is, Zachariah, your prayers were heard. Your prayers were heard. I believe that so often when we experience disappointment, the first thing that the enemy wants to attack is our prayer life. He wants to attack our confidence in our conversation with God. Maybe even you're thinking, well, God isn't the one who's failed, so maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm just not praying the right way. Maybe I'm just failing in my prayer. But I think it's so important for us to realize that prayer, as we pray to God, prayer changes us. Prayer shapes us. God is forging our hearts and our souls through prayer. But prayer is also how God listens to us and God moves in power as we pray. And so do not allow disappointment to keep you from praying. Allow disappointment to drive you into deeper and more passionate prayer. And to hold fast to the confidence that God is at work and that he is moving. I want to let you know, we are a church that is committed to prayer. We believe in prayer. We have prayer in, in the front every week. We have monthly prayer. We have a prayer week that happens in January. We really believe in the importance that prayer is to your life and to our church. And we want to be committed to it. And I want to encourage you to be committed to it. Pray because God is listening. And then the second and final thing that I'll share as we close as a takeaway is this. That when we think about this story, I think it's so important for us to realize that God rarely works in the way that we expect. God rarely works in the way we expect. Really, you could say that this is a point about the whole Christmas story. It's surprising. To, it was surprising to the people and it, it's surprising as you read it. But God is moving in these unusual ways. And I think this is so important when it comes to us being disappointed with God. Because so often, I think that if we look at the source of our disappointment, the source of our disappointment is us saying, God, I had expectations that my life was going to go this way. 
I believe that you were going to act in this specific way. And when you didn't, I was disappointed. And and listen, I I think it's okay to, to be disappointed. I think it's okay to feel those emotions. And certainly as you read through the Psalms, you see that people are incredibly honest with God. But what I want to encourage us is that that we need to grow in our ability to see all the ways that God is working and all the ways God is moving. See, disappointment can drive our gaze to only focus in the right here and in the right now. And our prayer needs to be, God, show me how you're working all over. If I limit and I say, okay, this area right here is the only area that God can work, then 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 I'm missing all of the other ways that God wants to work and I'm missing how God may want to be leading me. And so I wanna encourage us that, that we need to grow and say, God, open my eyes, show me how you're moving, show me how you're working. There's this beautiful story in Genesis. It's a man named Jacob and he's on the run. He, he's had a hard time and he's had a hard life. He's made a lot of mistakes as well, but he's on the run. He's a fugitive and he lays down in a field to to, to go to sleep. And he has this really vivid dream of God. And then this is what he says at the end. As he wakes up from his dream, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And can I tell you right now, there are dozens of areas of your life that the Lord is in, and you may not be aware of them. Even in my life, as I look at the the situations that I'm walking through, God is in them. God is working. God is doing thousands of things in our lives. And so the prayer that I have, and I believe as we move forward into the next year, my prayer is not maybe God do more. My prayer is God make me aware of what you're already doing. Like you're working, you're moving in power, and God help me to open up my eyes and see it so that I may step in and join it. So let's be looking and saying, God, I know you're working. Make me aware of it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And just the reminder that you are at work, that you invite us into your redemption story. And Lord, as we think about Christmas, As we think about the reason that you came to die on the cross for our sins, we're so grateful for it. But God, I ask that even today, that that we would begin to, you would forge in us a desire to pray and a focus to, to cry out to God in prayer. And God, I pray that you would help us to open up our eyes so that we can see how you're working and so that we can see where you're working. God, give us eyes to see it, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.